huge meltdown and she was like, I can't even put tomato sauce on my child's plate. Like, mm. I don't know what to do. Um, you know, and so we have to we have to put them in charge of something small. And I mean, you're giving them, you know, and then people will say, but oh, you're giving them choices and you're letting them decide what they want to do. And like, how do you know what's appropriate? But I mean, you're not really, you're giving, you are in charge of determining what the choices are. So Mm -hmm. actually you're still choosing for them, but they still feel like they're in charge of something. And that feeling is enough. Welcome back to Inside Your Head, the podcast where we discuss anything and everything related to your mental health and well-being. I'm your host, Kristal Roots, clinical psychologist and founder of Sac Central South Africa. In today's episode, I'll be having a chat to Kaylee Lance, educational psychologist at Psych Central in Ravonia. Kaylee often works with kiddies, and she especially enjoys working with kids under the age of five. Yes, you heard right, kids under five can also go to therapy. A lot of her work involves working with parents and helping them to understand what their child is experiencing and how to help them navigate a lot of those difficult feelings. Today, we're going to focus on tantrums specifically, which I'm sure most parents would have many questions about. If you want to know more about Psych Central and the services we offer, or Kaylee and her services, visit our website on psychcentral.co.za. You can also follow us on social media, where our handle is Psych Central South Africa, on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. So Kaylee, let's start with what tantrums are and if they're normal or not. Okay, cool. Thank you for having me. So I think what I'll say first is tantrums are normal. (laughs) Every kid has them. Um, And important to remember, they're not a reflection on good parenting or not. I know a lot of parents carry guilt, like your your child has a complete meltdown in the middle of the shops and parents get really embarrassed and they feel like, oh my God, I don't know how to manage my child. Um, I don't know what I'm doing. And you end up reflect, you know, using it as a reflection on your parenting and it's not. All children have tantrums because all children have feelings and so all children have response. So mm. that's the one thing. Um, the other important thing to remember is children, they're here and now beings. They live in their heart. They are emotional beings. They're born with flight and fight response, but they're not born with logical, rational thinking. And so it's really important to remember that because when we're responding to a tantrum or really to anything involving a child, we want to meet them in the feeling because then we miss them. So when you're trying to reason with them and you're trying to, you know, get them to like logically think about what they're doing, like don't throw yourself on the floor. This isn't good. I'm getting embarrassed. They're not hearing it. Like you're missing them. They're in their caveman brain and you're using your logical cognitive brain. And so you're just missing each other. I think it's it's so important what you're saying. Um, and with having a baby now, obviously she's not throwing tantrums yet, but I can relate so much because I've I've always watched like other family members or people with mm. their kids. And then I'm thinking like I can see how stressed you're getting or uh, how overwhelmed you are with them mm. throwing a tantrum mm. or being overwhelmed. So I've always kind of had this idea like just relax. It's okay. It's normal. Exactly. But when you are there, 
Like the other day, Margot was screaming in a restaurant and I felt like, stop screaming because do everyone's something. watching. Mm. I need to do something. And that's not even a tantrum. That's just mm. like a normal baby crying. And, and you're so aware that it's disturbing other people. Yeah. So I think that that's the biggest struggle with mm. tantrums mm. is that it feels like everyone's watching, watching. you yeah. and everyone's checking like, mm. how are you responding or what are mm. you doing with this? I think, you know, what you can hold on to, which is like quite a liberating feeling is like <laughs> every parent is learning. No parent, there's no secret, you know, recipe and book to like getting it right all the time. You're learning. And the truth is like everybody's learning and we feel like everybody's watching us, but actually nobody really is because everybody's really involved in trying to manage their own situation. And so I think the most important thing for every parent to remember is like, well, every child does this and you need to be calm so that the situation can become calm. You know, if you're dysregulated and you are all over the place and you become incredibly anxious and you're adding fuel to the fire, you want to calm the fire, you want to calm the storm and also just like accept like, okay, tantrums are part of childhood. They're developmentally appropriate, like they happen and, you know, like, okay, they come and they go. Like mm. they're not around forever. And, um, you know, I think we we sometimes expect a lot from, especially like our toddler age group to kind of just like get it and to like get the lesson and to, you know, move on with it. And they don't have like the capacity to do so. Like you're actually expecting something that's impossible from them at that stage. I mean, just their ability to make a decision and to process information can take like up to 60 seconds even over and so you want like immediate responses you want them to get it and to stop and to listen and they're they're not there yet so you know I think the first step is take a deep breath <laughs> the second thing is just to like breathe and have patience and it's so hard to have patience when your child's screaming and you know as you said earlier like even with just with Margot crying in like the shops but you have to just be patient and be like this is just a child this is just feelings like that is what's happening right now mm -hmm. is there is an overwhelming amount of feelings and this child is telling me I feel disconnected I feel overwhelmed and I don't know what to do with it. So like weirdly enough, it's actually connective in nature because what the child's doing is trying to draw the parent in. So if we can keep that in mind, I think it just, it shifts away from like this embarrassing, guilty situation to rather like, this is my child telling me they need a bit of help right now. What am I going to do to help them in this moment? Mm. I think that it, it it's just this cycle that just things keep on escalating mm. because as you're speaking, I'm thinking that, I think, like, I'm, I'm wondering, where did we get this idea that kids need to be quiet and good and, mm, like, and rational, rational <laughs> yeah. beings? And, and mm. I guess it's, like, society conditioning us in this way of, mm. well, your child is a reflection of yourself or of your, your parenting, parenting mm. skills. And so you, you have this big need that they must just be perfect. Absolutely. Um, mm. and, and it's so much pressure that it puts on you, but also on them it's so much pressure but it, yeah pressure on your relationship as well yeah you know I've, like I have so many parents that come in and the relationship is just getting raptured and raptured over and over again because they're missing each other all the time 
And I always say like my first point of reference is when you're responding to a child, the first thing that you should think is how am I going to respond that is going to preserve this relationship rather than rapture it? And that usually sets you in good stead mm. of, of going forward because then you're thinking, well, what I'm about to do right now and how I'm going to respond right now, is that going to preserve the relationship I want with my child or is it going to make my child scared of me or is it going to be a fear-based relationship or you know, and then you get caught in the wrong path of what you don't actually want with your kids. A lot of parents, though, will often refer to tantrums as they're just trying to manipulate mm. or it's just kids mm. trying to get their way. And and I, I wonder how can we help parents to understand what tantrums, like you, you've mentioned, obviously, it's, mm. it's mm. an emotional response and kids are emotional mm. beings. But how can we redefine tantrums mm. or look mm. at it differently? So... You know, I tend to veer far away from, you know, even referring to behavior as attention seeking because it may be in nature, but the fact they're looking for something they're not getting in the moment. Tantrums, I mean, generally they're triggered by two things. So, I mean, you either have like a transition-based tantrum. A transition is when one thing ends and another thing starts. So whether it's um, I'm watching TV, now I need to go bath. That transition period is very hard. So you've got your transition tantrums or you have power struggles. And I think every parent who listens is going to be like, oh, yes, I know that very well, <laughs> especially with my toddler. But those are usually the two things that really set them off. So they seem random, but actually they're not really random. I mean, even things that we think are well, shouldn't be surprising, you know, like you bath every night. This is not news to you. Like <laughs> we eat dinner every night, you know, mm. we should know this by now. But small things are surprises and surprises are like transitions. And so those trigger off a tantrum because it's a feeling of I'm not in control right now. I'm not, things are not predictable. Children thrive. They love predictability. They like when things are expected. Um, so as soon as they feel like, well, this is a big shock and this is a big surprise or my control and my power is being taken away from me, um, that's when you're going to get your tantrum. And so the best way to kind of catch and navigate them is to, well, like we have two paths is to prepare, a lot of preparing. And I'll go through these nicely and give examples. And the other is to give choices. Mm -hmm. um, so... You know, I'll, I'll use like the the bath time as a as an example. So you're you know like you know in thirty minutes is bath time. You're not going to wait until it's three minutes before to go up to your toddler and be like, right, my boy, you're going to bath now. And then he's on the iPad or he's playing with his toys or you know whatever he's doing, and he's going to be like, um, no, I'm not going to bath right now. Like I'm busy playing. So, you know, you first want to have time. So at the 30 minute mark, you're going to, you know, what works really nice with small children is like a visual chart of how the day pans out. So you've got your morning routine and then you've got your evening routine and there's a picture of a bathtub and then there's a picture of the dinner table and then there's a picture of the bed and, you know, they're not, they're not verbal enough yet. So the visual chart works nice. So you go to the visual chart and you say, oh, my boy, okay. So in 30 minutes time, we are going to bath and you show the picture of the bath and then we're going to do this and then we're going to do this. You lay out the plan really nicely. Um, and because time is such a strange concept for toddlers, you can't say, okay, I'll see you in 30 minutes and arrive back in 30 minutes because it's going to feel like five. 
And so you're going to go again in 20 and then you're going to go in 15 and then you're going to go in 10 and you're just going to say, I'm just reminding you, you know, in 10 minutes, we're going to go bath. And so you're really just preparing, 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 reminding, reminding. So by the time you get there, it's not this massive surprise and the transition's a bit smoother. Um, I don't know if that makes sense. It's it's so interesting to me as you're explaining that because I'm just thinking um, like in my family and in my reference, there's so many kids and mm. obviously I've observed a lot of people with young kids and I think, shame, I don't want the people in my family <laughs> to feel like I'm saying no one does this, but mm. I, maybe they're doing it and I'm not even acknowledging mm. it or recognizing it, mm. but I'm thinking like it's so practical and, and often we look at kids and we kind of think well they're too young to understand mm. and so what's the point of me explaining mm. what's the point mm. of me saying I'm going to see you in 30, 30 minutes when they don't understand what 30 minutes are but I think it's so helpful for them to really be recognized as human beings that's a part of this yeah, like they're thinking people yes. like they want a part I mean yeah. I think you we forget how powerless it feels to be a child you know, you don't remember being two or three. And so you don't have, you know, you've got no memory of that experience. But geez, I mean, you're being told what to do, when to do it, what to put on, when to go, when to stop, when, you know, when to eat, when not to eat, when to go to bed. I mean, you really have no power. And so yeah. it is around the two year mark that they start wanting a little bit more back. And it's about being able to give it in appropriate measure, um, you know, and, and again, just you, you're eliminating the element of surprise. I think if you can do that, then you're heading in a nice direction. You know, whether you're using an egg timer and it's got 30 minutes on it and then they can hear the ticking in the background. It's a constant reminder, like the time is moving. Um, you know, children don't have a concept of time and when they're playing, it moves much faster. So we have to just, we have to work with them. It's our job to work with them, not to get them to work with us. They're still small. Um, <clears throat> we need to give them the practical skills to kind of get there. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's, I guess, in terms of a transition, in terms of power struggles. Oh, <laughs> it's so <laughs> hard. Um, you know, I had, I had a parent come here once and she, I mean, they were really just like very distressed, but, um, you know, we have to take humorous moments out of everything. But she, her kid, like if she put the tomato sauce on the plate in the wrong way, the child threw the plate off the table. It was like an epic tantrum. It was a huge meltdown. And she was like, I can't even put tomato sauce on my child's plate. Like, mm. I don't know what to do. Um, you know, and so we have to, we have to put them in charge of something small. And I mean, you're giving them you know, and then people will say, but, oh, you're giving them choices and you're letting them decide what they want to do. And like, how do you know what's appropriate? But I mean, you're not really, you're giving, you are in charge of determining what the choices are. So mm -hmm. actually you're still choosing for them, but they still feel like they're in charge of something. And that feeling is enough. Um, <clears throat> you know, so like another, and I like to give little practical examples because I feel like it helps really like make sense of what I'm saying. But I mean, if you're going to like the toy store and then you get there and your child's super excited, you're going to the toy store, this is like, this is amazing. And you get to the parking lot and they like just want to bolt out the car and they're ready to like run across the parking lot. And then you grabbing their arm and then they're getting hysterical because you're not letting them go. And, and you know, and then you end up, also angry and then you're back in the car and you're like we're not going 
So, you know, a nice way to kind of navigate that is, um, you know, there is like a little, I guess, I like to call it a little, a little recipe in choice giving. Um, and so the first thing is to like sit with the child's feeling to okay the feeling. Sure, my boy, you're so excited. We're going to the store now. Yes, that's so exciting. And then to set your limit, but it's not safe to run through the parking lot. And then to give your choice and your choice is, you can hold my hand or you can walk next to me. Which do you choose? And then you'll see how different that conversation pans out because he's going to think, okay, well, yes, I am excited. My mom gets me. Yeah, I'm so excited right now. Okay, it's not safe to run through the parking lot. That's my limit. And now I get to decide, am I going to walk next to my mom or am I going to hold her hand? Um, you know, and the, we always, I feel like we talk a lot about okaying feelings, but I feel like we don't talk about why it's so important. And it really is just so important because children want to feel validated and they want to feel understood and they live there. Like that's where they exist. They live there in their emotions. And so if you ignore that and you just move straight on to, no, that's dangerous. Don't do that. That's not safe. You're getting yourself stuck into a power struggle already. I kind of feel like so, Kaylee, and, and I think you're really giving such good practical examples that's really helpful. But I'm wondering, um, how are parents supposed to know this? Mm. Because obviously, like, yes, there's resources out there. Mm. Um, but it's I think it's so unfortunate that a lot of people, like, you have to do so much thinking about these things. Mm. And and in the moment, that's so difficult because in the moment you just rushed or you're you flooded. are yeah. um, flooded by the mm. emotions. And, and I guess that, well, I'm asking a rhetorical question mm. of like how they should be able to know mm. and you really need to be like it's such a, a important skill to acquire to be mm. able to almost observe your child and be looking at what they're doing and commenting on that instead of being in the in the moment yeah. and in the emotion with mm. them. Mm. You know, <clears throat> I think that you do what you know until you know better. And, you know, this isn't about like, oh, this is the way you should be parenting and the way you're doing it is wrong. But it's just like there, you said, we just do what we do until we know to do something else that works and that's maybe better. Um, and I think like for so long, there's been so much stigma attached to parents looking for parental guidance, looking at resources, speaking to people who do parent work, who do parental guidance, because it, the automatic assumption is, well, I don't know how to manage my own child. And so, you know, that's really bad that I have to go speak to somebody else about it. But that's not the case at all. Like, as I said at the beginning, every parent is learning. Like, you're always learning and no child is the same. So you might have your first child and then really think you know what you're doing. And then you have your second child and you're like, oh, no, <laughs> I really don't. And I think that's just the like that's just the way it is. And like, can we just be okay with that? Like that everybody is learning, and it's okay to ask for help. Um, you know, people are taught, I guess, in this in this field how to do it, but parents aren't, and that just makes no sense. And so there needs to be it needs to be more accessible and more okay for parents to just be able to reach out and 
you know, know where the resources are, know who to speak to. And for that just to be like the status quo of how we parent is that we can reach out and we can have communities of people who speak to each other about parenting and listen to podcasts and follow Instagram pages. And there really are just like amazing resources online for this. I think that that, that's a new thing, though. Mm. There's so much resources, Mm. which is amazing Mm. but the resources can also be very overwhelming Mm. and I guess it's about having that sense of community where we can normalize it's okay that you lost your shit today exactly and that tomorrow you are trying again and that you're trying to do it differently exactly and I think if we can treat ourselves like that it's so much easier than to treat our kids like that okay today was hard like today you had a bad day today we couldn't make nice decisions tomorrow we're trying again there's always an opportunity to try again and I think that's like that's so nice because there really is and if you can treat yourself with the same empathy and understanding you're gonna do it for your kid just naturally you you mentioned a few times now kind of reflecting feelings Mm. to your child and Mm. and maybe it's important to understand why that whole reflecting feelings might be so important because I think again a lot of parents might think but my child's not going to understand when Mm. I tell them you Mm. are feeling this way Mm. or this is why you are um, having the emotions but what does that teach them Mm. in the long run well you know I think they don't know until they hear it. And so the more you can be the person who's reflecting, like you have a reflective functioning, the more they're able to say like, oh, okay, when I'm angry, this is the way I feel. And they can bridge that connection together. Mm. It's very hard for them. They're learning. They're little people. They're absorbing everything. So we have to give them the opportunity to constantly be practicing these skills. Without them, we don't get to self-regulation. We don't get to learning how to control our emotions and our bodies. We Those are learned skills. We're not born with them. They're not innate. We learn them. And so as parents, it's important to give the opportunity to practice them. And the way we do that is by using like a emotional vocab and speaking a lot about feelings and bridging the connection and reading books and all these things. You know, there's like a whole series of brave books. I think that's what they're called. And they're all different emotional scenarios for children. But, you know, as I said, because they're living kind of in this caveman brain, the moment you're able to meet them there and say, you are feeling sad, happy, excited, but they feel seen. And that's what a child wants. And it takes time. So now, you know, I have a lot of parents saying, oh, well, I I did this for a week and my child's still having these epic meltdowns and still having these tantrums and, you know, still doesn't listen to me. And But it really takes time. Things don't happen overnight. And that's why I said in the beginning to have patience. You have to have so much patience because it really takes time and it has to be consistent um you know and it makes me think of I was going to speak about like natural consequences and again it's about following through with things you set in place so being realistic in terms of the limits you can set the boundaries you have so that you can stick to them because that's equally as important as okaying feelings but the first step in kind of simmering down high emotions is to validate them then we can move on to other things. There's a, a woman that I listened to a podcast, her name's Dr. Brenna Hicks, and she said something and it stuck with me like since I heard it. And she said, when a child is drowning, don't try and teach them how to swim. Mm. 
Wow, yeah, that's powerful. And it's such a it's such an important thing because, you know, that's not the teachable moment. That's not the moment we go in and we try and explain like, well, this is why I told you not to jump off the couch because now look, now you've hurt yourself. Your child's not even there. They're drowning. And so first we got to pull them out and we've got to make them feel safe. And, you know, we're speaking drowning in an emotional sense. And so you're not going to go flood them even more. You're going to pull them out of the water. You're going to pull them out of the emotional flood. And the way we do that is through that reflecting of feelings. Once we've simmered down, then we can set limits. Then we can have conversations about dangerous behavior. Or, you know, maybe we can choose something better next time. Or, you know, but the first step, and I think... Again, that's why it's so important is to go to the feelings because you want your child to feel like you understand them. And that's the way we do that. I think that parents are often just so hesitant because they they have this fear of, well, if I'm just going to okay all of their feelings mm. and normalize it, then they're going to feel like it's okay to feel that way, mm. which it is. It is okay mm. to feel that way, but it's not necessarily okay to behave in the way that, mm. that they are. So Absolutely. there's a big difference between the two, but yeah. I, I can understand that it's very difficult mm. to, to know like almost where do you draw the line mm. because you also want your child to be able to rationalize at times or you mm. want them to be able to um, kind of step back. But we need to also understand that 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 only comes in much later. Much later. So yeah. like the other day, someone mentioned like you actually only considered an adult in terms of your brain at the age of 22. Mm. So your frontal lobe not even developed. is not <laughs> even not developed. Yeah. So you can't get to that point where mm. you're thinking about it rationally. And we often, I think, expect kids to really Just be on that it. level yeah. and get it when it's really literally impossible for their brains it's absolutely impossible i mean that ability only really like starts to develop it's in like it's in you know it's in its it's like seeding phase at the age of 13 so i mean even like people with older kids they're like oh my child's 10 and like i don't know why they're behaving like this and you know but they're not even there yet like still they're not even there yet they have more of a capacity but they're not there yet Mm. and so you know, and there absolutely is a difference between feelings and behavior. And it doesn't mean because we're saying your feeling is okay that we're saying your behavior is. There are two different things. But that's why we start off with, okay, you know, you're so sad right now. It's okay to feel sad because it's always okay to feel anything. But it's not okay to do A, B, C, and D. Um, you know, it's, it's okay you're feeling so excited now. I can see you and your brother are... You know, you're having so much fun, you're playing, but your brother's not here for hurting during play. You know, you, you, you can sense like, okay, well, that's all fine now, but the toy's about to get thrown in his face and like, you, you know. Um, and so we also want to stop ourselves from like, I think as parents, we tend to, you know, we, we see discipline as controlling your child and that's not the goal of discipline. The goal of discipline is actually self-regulation. Like we want to use that so that our children learn how to self-regulate, not so that we're in control of our child's behavior. That's the wrong message. Because every time we swoop in and we're like, oh, no, 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 don't do that. Don't smack your brother. Don't, um, you know, obviously when things are unsafe, we've got to swoop in, but we don't want to swoop in over and over and over again because the message we're sending there is, well, you go, you push the boundary 
right until the edge and then I'm going to sweep in and I'm going to control your behavior so you don't have to. Mm. And that's where, you know, parents are like, oh, my child's got no regulation. They don't know how to control themselves. They, you know, then we start seeing issues like that. But we've got to like give them the opportunity to to self-regulate. And that's through choosing options. Choice giving is so important. I can't stress it enough because if we know things are a choice, then we know we've got control over the outcome. And I think that is so empowering for a child, you know, and children test your boundaries. They're children. They're going to do that. They're going to say, they're going to look like, if I really push you, are you going to stick to what you said? Like, are you really going to say, you know, are you going to follow through with that? And if we don't, we're over and over again, proving that we don't stick to boundaries. And so they can push them. So, you know, I think before you set any boundary, you've got to be really sure that you're able to follow through even when the shit hits the fan because it's going to for the first while. You know, Mm. your child is going to be very upset with you, Um, you know. And and so I think that's where natural consequences come into place too because natural consequences are basically you've chosen that by choosing the behavior, Um, you know, and that connection is very important. So your child's refusing to get dressed in the morning. It's to say, well, I'm leaving in 30 minutes to go to granny. Let me know when you're ready. And to just leave that. And not to say anything. And then you see them like faffing and now they're walking around the house naked or they're refusing. They're still walking in their pajamas and now it's been 10 minutes. You know, then it's not to say, oh, like I told you, I'm, you know, you're not getting dressed. If you don't get dressed, you're, I'm punishing you because it's just redundant, really. You're, you're still not getting the positive outcome you want and actually neither is a child. And so it's again to say, I'm leaving in 20 minutes. If you're not ready, you're not going to come with me. And then they might still wait and wait and wait and wait. And now you're walking out the door and he's running to you. Oh, no, no, no. Okay, I want to come. I'm going to quickly get dressed. You've got to be able to say, sorry, my boy. I told you I was leaving in, you know, however long it was. Today, you couldn't choose to get dressed in time. And so you've chosen not to come to granny today. Tomorrow, we're going to try again. Um, you know, and that goes to anything, you know, you've chosen not to dress, so you've chosen not to come, you've chosen not to eat, and so you've chosen to be hungry later, you've chosen to throw a toy at your brother, and so you've chosen not to play with that toy again today. And when we can like bridge that, that's the natural consequence, and that's enough. And it's so liberating for you, because you don't have to then carry the burden of controlling your child's behavior all the time, because they've chosen it. Yeah, I'm I'm just also thinking as you're speaking, Kaylee, like um it's so important for us to really get this feedback from our parents as kids for when we are adults. Mm. Um because like it teaches you fundamentally, first of all, to take responsibility. Mm. So mm. like if you exactly. if you need to deal with I didn't get dressed on time and now I'm not able to go to granny, that sucks, but it, it teaches you that my behavior as a consequence and exactly. I need to like I'm responsible for a lot of that exactly and I, I guess that that's very difficult for a lot of adults mm. to digest is the fact that I've done something and now it has a consequence Absolutely. or it's like I'm feeling disappointed with this mm. we need to learn to deal with feelings of disappointment mm. and frustration and 
all of those things. So 100%. Like I, I, I can see the benefit also just like or not how critical it is for us to be able to be functional adults in terms of mm. responsibility, but also to be able to regulate your own Correct. feelings. And, and, and I think that that's so important mm. where parents are kind of just like, well, we're just winging it. Exactly. We need to think mm. about what we do with tantrums because it's a real learning well, opportunity. There, well, that's exactly, I think you just said spot on. That's exactly what it is. It's a learning opportunity. And, <clears throat> you know, we need... As I said, you know, we need the opportunity to practice. And so, like, we've got to give those opportunities to our children so that they can become adults who are self-regulating, who are in control of their behavior, who can understand consequences. Because there's consequences to every decision you make, whether it's a good one or it's a bad one, there are consequences to it. And I think feelings like frustration and anger are really important ones. We can't protect our children from feeling angry or frustrated. Those are really important emotions, even feeling disappointed. They're all part of a really important process of growing up. We can't shield them. We can't swoop in and save them all the time. We want to keep them safe, but we want to give them the opportunity to just be people. And that's what it is to be a person, is to have different emotions. Some of them don't feel so nice and some of them feel awesome, but they they part and parcel of just being a human. Um, you know, and as I said earlier, like the, the crux of all of this is that there's always another opportunity tomorrow, you know, okay, so you, your child's cross with you, but the whole narrative changes instead of you took my bicycle away and, and you know, I hate you and you look, you've taken all my freedom away. Well, it's not that it's my boy, you know, today you chose to hit your brother. And so you chose not to have your bicycle for two days. You wish you chose better. You wish you didn't choose that option. Maybe tomorrow you're going to choose differently. And I think that's an, that choosing is important because that's where self-regulation and control comes from. And that's what you want for your child, not to have to, you can't self-regulate them for the rest of their lives. They can't be 18 and you're telling them, you know, how to self-regulate. You want them to be able to do that for themselves and they need the opportunity to learn that. I think it is also a lot of hard work though. So mm. it, it takes a lot of effort and, and yeah, a lot of parents kind of go, well, not necessarily on a conscious level, but unconsciously it's it feels so much in the moment that you almost think I'll deal with it later, later. Mm. when they can understand or mm. later with things will be easier, but it, it just probably gets harder and harder and, and more difficult to really change. It does. I am wondering though, Kaylee, um, is it sometimes a sign of, that something is wrong though. So how do we know? Because on the one hand, it is very natural and mm. normal for kids to have tantrums. Mm. But when, how do we judge when it is actually an indication of something's wrong mm. or like I need to, I need I need to investigate? Yeah. You know, I think like your first go-to is to like, is this developmentally appropriate for my child? Like, is my child two or three, even four? And like, then, okay, tantrums are, you know, they're just part of the process. Um, that's the one thing. And the other thing is like, are these, are they dangerous? Like, are they actually not safe in these moments? You know, if your child's like banging their head against the wall and, you know, smashing 
like like and actually hurting themselves well then that's really not okay and then we have to really think about what's happening for this child that they're so dysregulated that it's not just a tantrum because you know I didn't get what I wanted or I've had to end something and start something that may have been the trigger but the fact that they're so uncontained then we we want to start thinking and I mean it is hard because I think for a lot of parents in the moment it feels easier to just give in because then we know the child gets the desired response and then things seem to simmer but it does get worse and so tantrums can be 45 minutes they can be two hours like they can be really long (laughs) sorry (laughs) sorry what's what's waiting for me (laughs) but they can and I think you know, it's difficult to really define like what's normal, what's a normal tantrum, what's not a normal tantrum. But that's why I said like, you know, it's not necessarily about that, but about what's safe and like what's okay. Like it's okay to have feelings and it's okay to have a big reaction, but it's not okay if we're not safe. Safety is always first. Um, you know, and so then, then I would say like if we're really in a situation where your child's so uncontained and you're struggling yourself to just be in that, then that's probably time to think like, maybe I need to chat to someone. Maybe I need to put in different tools. Maybe the ones I'm using are not working because no child's going to respond to the same thing. Like they're not, it's trial and error. It's figuring out. And it's also just having patience, which is the hardest. I think that's probably the hardest part because you just want your child to be okay all the time. And it's so distressing for parents to see their child in a state of absolute hysteria. It's really hard. Like you just want your child to be okay. But we also want them to learn how to be okay within themselves because that's a really important skill going into, you know, adolescence, into adulthood, And so it's about figuring out, you know, finding a balance. And I think it's hard. It is hard work. Like I'm not, you know, I can't sit here and say like, oh, listen and do all these things. And it's so easy because most of the time we miss it. And like sometimes we don't get it right. And sometimes we do. And sometimes it works and it's awesome. And sometimes it really doesn't. Um, But I think that's just the process. What do you feel, though, is the impact on kids when parents respond too harshly? Mm. Um, Because I'm I'm imagining that some parents get so uh, dysregulated themselves Mm. in that moment that they actually like lash out out Mm. and that they're really harsh. Mm. And and a lot of times we focus on when parents don't set boundaries and the impact that that has. But on Mm. the other end, um, other extreme. Yes. I'm wondering how that impacts a child Mm. potentially. Well, you know, I think then what you get is a lot of parents will feel like, oh, well, my child always listens to me and like we never have issues. And, you know, when I scream and shout, that's the only thing that seems to work. Well, the reason that seems to work is because it's fear-based. And so, you know, your child's listening because they're scared. And that's not why we want a child to listen and to respond to their parent because they're scared of their parent. Um, You know, then we start getting a lot of like people-pleasing behavior and we start getting a lot of, um, you know, perfectionist behavior and like a very anxious child who feels like they have to be good all the time. 
And that's a lot of pressure and that is so anxiety provoking. And on the opposite end, you've got a child who feels so powerless, who feels like they have no say and no control. And that's going to look like one of two things. So either it's going to look like the most obedient child you've ever seen in the world, but who's incredibly anxious, or a child who is defiantly, um, you know, pushing back. And yeah. Yeah. I think that, that we often think of tantrums with regards to just like pushing the boundaries mm. and how it leads to emotional dysregulation and all of those things. But it's mm. it's very important what you're saying now. The other day I read like this quote on Instagram somewhere where they were saying, um, they were talking about people pleasing and they were saying, you need to be very conscious of how your child, how you want your child to be pleasing you the whole time because mm. as adults that your child's going to want to please other people. So Absolutely. what you're actually teaching them is never question anything. You mm. need to always say yes. You're not allowed to have a your different... Your own ideas, yes. thoughts. Yeah. And, and I think that we, we can easily miss that with tantrums. That tantrums. So maybe one of the red lights or mm. red flags as well would be if your child has no tantrums, mm. you need to kind of just mm. sit back and say, not something's severely wrong, but just question, you know, like what's what can this there? potentially mm. mean or why why are they really struggling mm. to want power or yeah, even... Or to like just express negative emotions. And I've used, you know, inverted commas because there's not negative versus positive emotions, but to express emotions that don't feel so good. Um, you know, like, why are we keeping everything inside? Sure, that's like a very hard job to have to keep all your feelings inside all the time. And then, you know, children understand and internalize themselves in like a very particular way. And so, you know, we don't want a child to think, well, nobody can actually handle my feelings. I have to do it all by myself. Because that you know, it turns into another host of complicated relationships later on. Um, you know, so I think what you said is very important. Like we've got to, we don't want anything on an extreme. I mm. think what you're always looking for is somewhere in the middle, some sort of balance where like my child, yes, he has tantrums, but like sometimes he's so calm and he's so caring and he can be both. Um, and not to like, almost over identify with one side because then you're you're causing a split and we you don't want a child who's split in half you want a whole cohesive person who can be angry and frustrated and kind and caring and naughty sometimes and disruptive other times and defiant or you know really sensitive you want all the parts of your child because that's how they figure out who they are you know, we don't want to be pu too punitive because then we're we're minimizing their experience and we're putting them into a very small space where they have very little control and very little say. Um, and then they don't also learn how to make any decisions. That's mm. not a self-regulated child. Mm. You know, a child who's super quiet and doesn't have tantrums and doesn't have outbursts doesn't mean that that's a very, you know, that's a well-regulated child at all. That's not a sign of a well-regulated child either. Um, that's a child who's doing a very hard job but keeping everything inside. And that's not regulated. That's just completely split off from 
all the things that make me feel too overwhelmed or don't make me feel very good. Mm. I've got to be good all the time. I can only have good feelings all the time. Everything has to be glittery and sparkly and beautiful and, you know, nice. And those are children who really thrive on praise and, you know, really want to hear how good they are and what a good girl they are. And, you know, I think closely linked to that is is praising the effort and not the outcome. And that's just like an, you know, it's a different conversation for a different time. But I think just speaking in terms of balancing and, you know, having a self-regulated child and a child who feels like they can really express themselves and be themselves is a child who feels good about what they've done and not good about the product that, you know, the outcome of what's been produced from that. Like, oh, I worked so hard you know, in my soccer match today, I was a real team player. I shared the ball. Those are like the important things. Not I scored 15 goals and, you know, I got a medal. Mm. Um, but like the effort is being praised and not the outcome. It does make me feel quite like, although it's overwhelming mm. on the one hand to think about everything that you need to do. Mm. On the other, it's also like it feels doable. It feels like there's things that, that you can do if you equip yourself as a parent well yeah. enough hmm. that you can actually give your child a good opportunity to learn how to deal with these things. Absolutely. And I think, you know, just as like we need to give our children opportunities to practice, you have to give them to yourself. And, you know, I think it's it's just about really just trying. Like you're just trying and to keep trying, not to give up. You know, not to just give in and it is hard and nobody's saying it's easy. I think parenting is one of the hardest jobs. It really is. Um, but we have to just keep at it. And even when it feels like there's no change and even when it feels like nothing's happening and even when it feels like, well, it's getting worse. And sometimes it does. Sometimes it actually does get worse. But to just keep really pushing through and be really prepared for the pushback and the the upset and and just to kind of also know that that's okay. You know, mm. that's okay. That's part of the process. Sometimes it's also like fine to feel like, oh, today I don't feel like being a parent. Like that was so hard today. I think every that's like a common experience. Nobody's like, oh, being the parent is the best thing in the whole world. And every day I feel wonderful. And being a parent is so easy. And it's really not. I think it's very hard. Um, and I think we can just take solace in the fact that most parents find it hard. Mm. Because learning how to be a parent is hard. It's hard work. And you often don't know what you're doing. And that's why, you know, you have people like you have people to talk to and you have people to reach out to and sometimes we just need a little bit of support to figure out why what we're doing is not working mm -hmm. and that's really what it comes down to. Kaylee but so what what resources or things are there that you can suggest for parents you also mentioned like earlier the whole visual chart mm. so I'm, I'm wondering do you have mm. like any suggestions mm. of things that that either parents can make themselves or that can help them or mm. like pages or resources that they can access. Absolutely. So, you know, the visual chart is, it's a lovely routine keeper. It's a nice thing to use for preparation and a reminder, especially for the younger ones. As they get older, you can obviously, it doesn't have to be a visual chart. 
Um, but it's not a star chart, so it's not a reward chart, mm-hmm. but it's just like, well, this is the plan of the day. So you would have your your picture of the alarm clock and then you would have a picture of the school uniform and then you would have a picture of a bowl of breakfast. I mean, and you can make it together. It's kind of a nice thing to do with your kid and you lay out the plan of the day and you keep it on the fridge and it's always there so that we always know what's coming next. And I think to the best of our ability is to keep to the routine because then it's predictable and then we're avoiding more of the transition-based tantrums. You know, we can't avoid them all the time. Sometimes we are just in them. And that's when you use your little recipe. Um, but that's a that's a really nice tool. Um, there is a an Instagram page. I just love it. I just find it so relatable and so real. And, you know, it's run by two moms who, like, they just, they've been there. Like, they get it. And it's called Big Little Feelings. Mm, I love it as well. Oh, it's yeah. just, it's so wonderful. And they've got so many resources. And they've got a website. And they run courses. And they do potty, tra- like, from potty training to sleeping to everything. I mean, they really cover all the things I think all parents struggle with. Um, so that's another lovely one. And I just listen to a lot of really awesome podcasts. So the one podcast, I actually mentioned her name earlier. It's called Play Therapy Parenting, and her name's Dr. Brenna Hicks. She is just so awesome. She's an absolute guru. And, I mean, she really just speaks all about, you know, your relationship with your child, how to preserve that, how to understand your child. Um, And she applies a lot of the pillars from play therapy just into parenting because her attitude is, Like it shouldn't just be in the play therapy room that we know these things and it shouldn't just be a play therapist that knows these things, but actually parents should be using them too. So she's awesome. There's another one called Lessons from the Playroom. It's of a similar nature. And the last one that speaks a lot about natural consequences and boundary setting and limit setting, it's called Parenting Beyond Discipline. Okay. And they're all just really awesome podcasts. Nice to listen to in the car, like easy. You know, they're not long, two hour. Like some of them are five minutes, some of them are 10. And there's just hundreds of topics. So you can really just search like whatever you are needing a bit of support in or what resonates with you, you can just listen to. Okay, thanks so much. I'll I'll get the links and then I can just also share that. Is there anything else on your mind about tantrums? Anything maybe that we haven't covered that you that you think is important Mm. I mean I think we've covered you know the most important aspects but I think you know like if we could take away some like really important I guess factors from the conversation today I think the one would be like tantrums are normal yep are going to be there <laughs> all the time. Um, you know, they're developmentally appropriate. Um, and I think just to, you know, kind of try to remain as neutral and as calm as you can as a parent, because that's definitely going to benefit you in a really heated moment where emotions are just all over the place. Like you need to be the container in that situation so that you can contain your child because they're learning self-containment. They're learning self-regulation from you. That's where they learn it from. That's their their go-to. You're the role model. And sometimes it's hard and sometimes like we just can't and that's okay. 
And sometimes we can. And like, you're just going to try. You're just going to try again. I also think, though, like just from the conversation, if I can highlight maybe what stands out to me is, like, I think we need to just shift our way of thinking mm. about tantrums as well. Because it's actually like, obviously, you don't want your child to have tantrums all the time. But I think it's also really good opportunities to learn. There's mm. no other opportunity for you to teach your child the things that they need to be taught if they never throw a tantrum. Yeah. So it, rather than kind of saying, well, I know that there's going to be a tantrum, mm. they're going to be this way, and already psyching yourself up yeah. and being like, the, like I'm, I'm just waiting for a meltdown. I can see a meltdown happening. To prepare yourself for, like, there's going to be a meltdown and potentially I can teach my child how to deal with this. And mm. it's, it's a it's a, a opportunity it's that opportunity. we might not get again. Absolutely. Um, it's an opportunity to know, well, sometimes things don't go my way. Sometimes things are really hard. You know, sometimes I don't always have power and that sucks. And sometimes... You know, I think I'm on the same level as my parents and then I'm reminded that I'm not and that's so scary. And, you know, also the choices I make have consequences. And I think all those components, you know, as awful as the tantrum is in the moment, it's so giving of those opportunities to to kind of grapple with those things, to experience them, to have to go through them, because we have to have experiences to be able to have any lesson from it, to be able to learn anything from it, to develop a skill. Like you have to have the practice, you have to have the experience. And sometimes children need tough experiences. And that's not to say like, well, now we go make our children have a tantrum all the time. No. <laughs> but we just accept that when they do come, that they're really not nice and they're not nice for anyone involved and they're particularly awful when they're in a public space. But we can manage them to the best of our ability and sometimes when we can't, okay, they will pass. They do pass. They don't last forever. Nobody's had a tantrum for, for 18 years. So, you know, we, we yeah. can rest assured that they, they do come, that they do pass and there are, there are things that work but we have to stick to them. We have to stick to them. Like you really have to just do them and they might take really long, but they do, they do help. Mm. Okay. Thanks so much, Kaylee. I think that this was so helpful and, and thanks so much for taking the time and joining me. Of course. Thank you for having me. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to follow or subscribe on your desired platform. I will be so grateful if you're willing to take the time to rate this podcast so that you can continue to learn more about various topics related to your mental health and well-being.